we're on a series called The Culture of the King. Everyone say, The Culture of the King. The Culture of the King. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus taught us how to pray. And can we do this together? And you can look it up if you want. But Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer, goes like this. Our Father... That which art in heaven. Okay, now it's written. We have to read it actually. Okay, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Pause. Selah. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. Wonderful. Give yourselves a round of applause for that. You did it without words. Amazing. Um, I'm going to read this. Uh, read this. this is Ephesians chapter 1, and it will really take us to where we're going today. But Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and this is what he says he prayed over the church. You can close your eyes if I read this. You know, there's something powerful when we give ourselves to the public reading of Scripture because the Word is alive. It's living. It's active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword, and it will go deep into our innermost being. So if you want, just open your hands and just open your heart and just allow this Scripture to get inside of you. Paul prayed, I pray that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is like the, is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills everything in every way, which is his body, the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way, which is his body. Everyone say the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills everything in every way. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't that give you a, just an inkling of how important the church is? That we realize that we are the fullness of him that, and, and our purpose is to fill everything in every way. The kingdom of God is like yeast that works through the whole batch of dough. A tiny teaspoon of yeast will turn a big thing of dough into a loaf of bread. And Jesus said, that is what the kingdom of light is like. When the kingdom, when the yeast, when the church comes into contact with the world, something happens. And this series, The Culture of the King, what is it? Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What is it, is it about the culture of King Jesus that the church needs to know to, to fill everything in every way? Because the church is the fullness of Jesus that fills everything in every way. We could just stop right there and go home, knowing that that's what the Word of God says about this glorious church. Amen? 
powerful, huh? So exciting. And I think when we realize the power that we have, the authority that we have, the joy that we should have. You know, Paul says in Romans, the kingdom is not about eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness, peace, and joy. A third of the kingdom is joy. We should be the happiest people on the planet. But we should be a people that are righteous. That doesn't just mean we go, go around being religious. It means that we're right with God. We're in alignment with heaven. And so when we look at problems and we look at challenges, we look at them through the lens of the alignment of heaven. What does God's word say? Well, that's not the reality. But we believe in a higher reality. Because we fix our eyes not on what is seen, because what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. And our job is to say, let heaven come. Let your will be done right here on earth as it is in heaven. And so often God doesn't turn, change our problem. He changes our perspective. Okay. So this morning, I want to... Um, to go back into this series, actually, to, to continue um, on this series of the culture of the king. Say that with me one more time. I just need to know you're awake. The culture of the king. The more responsive you are, the faster I'll go. <laughs> okay, so now it's the onus is upon you. <laughs> okay, church. So we're going to do, we're going to go, we're going to jump back into this this series, The Culture of the King, and we're going to, if you remember, I did this, this some C's. I did five C's, a plus and a minus. I'm going to jump straight back in, and we're going to carry on in that series. And we're going to do five more today. Deep C's. Are you ready? And here's the first. That the part to, to live in a kingdom culture, we must learn, number one, to be centered. Everyone say centered. And if we don't find our center, and I'll explain that in a minute, if we don't stay centered, we don't stay grounded, we can't find ourselves in God, then we can end up with a cyclical living pattern. Some of you know what I'm talking about, where you go round and round and round. And some people can go through life revisiting the same habits, revisiting the same attitudes, revisiting the same mindsets, because they never actually broke out of them. Some, and there's reasons for that. It can be unforgiveness. All kinds of things happen that cause us to live cyclically instead of finding our center. And I've talked about this before, but right in the garden, God says to Adam, Adam, where are you? And God wasn't playing hide and seek with Adam. God wanted Adam to know where Adam was. So he says, Adam, where are you? This morning when I get up, nearly every morning, I have a happy place. It's a seat in the summer where I can sit outside and I find myself just with a cup of coffee, always asking myself, where are you today? How are you feeling? I normally can't answer it till I've had my coffee. But once that coffee kicks in, then I can find myself. But it's like a GPS, you know, when you're, when you're on your phone, that before you can determine where you're going, you have to allow the GPS to determine where you are. 
And once that beep, that little blip comes on the screen, you find yourself. And it's only once you find out where you are can you determine where you're going. And it's really important, church, that we stay centered in the midst of the storm, in the midst of unanswered questions, in the midst of pain, in the midst of upheaval, in the midst of turmoil, that we find our center. Everyone say, find your center. This week, you can, try, you, can, you can try it when you're getting upset, maybe with a child, maybe with, your, with a spouse, maybe with your boss at work, maybe with a colleague, maybe with a family member, whoever it is, maybe with a bill, maybe with somebody, something is frustrating you, find your center. Hang on. Before you do things and say things and react instead of responding, find your center. Find your center. Because life and death are in, is in the power of the tongue. And it's so often that we don't find our center, we find ourselves off-center, then things aren't right, things aren't in alignment, and we start saying things with our tongue that have extremely large amounts of power. So to hold yourself, find yourself, find your center, find your center. The story of Jesus in the boat where there was a storm. The one, there was two, two times there was a storm. One, I believe, um, was a demonic storm. And another one was, I actually believe personally, it was a test. And it was straight after the feeding of the 5,000. And it says immediately Jesus told them to go into the boat and go to the other side. And he, Jesus went up to pray. And in the middle of the night, he came out onto the water. And they are freaking out. This isn't the time where they woke Jesus up. This is the time where Jesus came and he walked on the water. And I preached this message. It's called The Power of Pieces. And the whole message was that Jesus told them to collect the fish heads and the pieces of bread and put them in a basket. And they, over, they filled 12 baskets of bread and they put them in the boat. And I believe the reason Jesus did that was to, court to, to remind them of the last miracle that Jesus had done. See, if we take the leftovers from the, from the promises and the miracles Jesus does and we take them into the next storm, that will keep us centered and keep us in peace because we remember what he's already done and what he's already said rather than just freak out. This particular time, I don't have time to unpack this, Jesus didn't rebuke the storm the first time he did. Do you remember? He was asleep and he woke up and he rebuked the storm and the disciples said, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? The second time he didn't do that. He was just out walking in the middle of the night. But I think there's times in life when we go through storms and we go through challenges, it's so important that we remember the testimonies. We remember when God has showed up time and time and time and time and time and time again. If we don't learn to be centered, then what happens is we start going in circles. You ever met somebody and they just, he's like, weren't you dealing with this issue last year? <laughs> Didn't we have this conversation about forgiving them? Did you not forgive them? I know, but it's just, I can't let it go. It's like, round we go again. Round we go again. And church, we can stop that. We can break that. It's like, I think the message I, I spoke two weeks ago on uh, what's your lot about parking lots, which I got from watching my children learn to drive. You know, lot, parking lots are safe. Parking lots don't go anywhere. Parking lots are a place where there's not stop signs and traffic and road rage and all the other people. It's not the hustle and bustle of life. It's not real life. It's a parking lot. But some of us need to break out of that lot and get onto the highway and get onto where real life is. And you know, it's, there's a scripture that it says it's time for the people of Israel to break camp. 
It's time. You've been round, God says, this mountain long enough. There's times where we have to break out of the cyclical living, break out of the parking lot and say, no, I'm not called to just going round. I'm called to destiny. Amen? So we need to live what? Centered and not cyclical. We mustn't live in a cycle. All right. Uh, next one. You ready? The next one is next culture of the king. Ready? The next deep sea is we need to be Christians, not churchians. Amen. Amen. Come on. <laughs> we need to be Christians. Everyone say that. Christians, not churchians. Let me explain. His se seven things very quick. That means that we are people that love the truth and not tradition. That we love the truth, that which is true, not that which is just traditional. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees and he says, You're a brood of vipers. You have a funny way of holding on to your own traditions rather than honor me. Your lips speak what sounds right, but your hearts are far from me. Church, it's important that we stand on what is true. What does what God's Word actually say, not just follow traditions? And as Jesus says, traditions taught by men. Are traditions all wrong? No. But what's important, tradition is great. I mean, culture is great. The way we live life, the way we do life is great. It's fun. It's great fun exploring other people's traditions and cultures. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about holding and living by a tradition other than the truth. And a, tr a Christian lives by the truth. A churchian lives by tradition. But in a kingdom culture, we need to break mindsets and actually look at why do we do what we do? Sitting in chairs. Is there anything wrong with it? No, it's traditional. And it's actually quite helpful because it's better than sitting on the floor. Amen? I was in another country where they don't sit around with chairs uh, last year. And it really hurt my knees after a while, seeing, eating every meal cross-legged. I think I would much rather sit on a chair. But it's a cultural thing, a tradition thing. Is there anything wrong with it? No. But when it comes to the kingdom culture, God's, God's kingdom coming right here on earth, as it is in heaven, it's important that we live by the truth and not by tradition. The second one is that a church, a churchian lives through, lives for passion. A church, a churchian, sorry, a Christian lives for passion. A churchian lives for position. Number three, a Christian lives for service. A churchian lives for status. Number four, a Christian lives for that which is real. A churchian lives for that which is religious. Number six, sorry, number five, a Christian lives to be righteous. A churchian lives to be right. Number six, a Christian lives for opportunity, but a churchian looks for options. You know, we live in a culture right now where we are living in a consumer society where we just go want to consume. Well, but I believe, and you know, I, I think the purpose of the church is to change the world, right? To win the world. It's the yeast permeating to every area of society. But for Christians, it's important that we plant ourselves where God wants us, not where it's just the most convenient. Amen. Okay. All right, move on from that one. But we're called to be consumed by God, not consumers. 
to contribute. What can I do? This is the house that God has planted me in. And I'm going to serve and I'm going to, I'm going to help because I'm drawn to this house because when I hear the sound of this particular family, this particular house, it resonates with the tuning fork in my spirit. The Bible says it, says it like this, deep calls to deep. Paul says we know no man after the flesh but after the spirit. That inside of ourself, it's like, I just know this is my, this is my home. Is it, is it a challenge sometimes? Yes. And honestly, if you've not been offended in this church, you just haven't been coming long enough. <laughs> okay, just want to make sure you're all awake. Uh, number seven. Number seven. Ch- Christians are, in, are, are, are motivated by the flow of the Spirit, but churchians, the form. Okay. John chapter seven. Come to me, all who you are thirsty, and let streams of living water flow from within him. Some people want that are hungry for the flow of what the Holy Ghost is saying to the church. Or, and others want a form. And I just want to simply suggest, and as you know, I'm never talking to us. It's just for the people who aren't here today. (laughs) But church, that that we... we allow life to find its form. We don't put life into a form and say, well, this is how it is. This is what we do. This is how it's structured. But we allow Holy Ghost to come and just mess everything up. And that itself will find its form eventually. But I also want to say this, that we can fall into into tradition. And this is often how denominations are formed because when we define something, we then can find something. When we define it, we confine it because that's what it is. And then we build a doctrine around it and then we build a fence and we say, this is what we believe and nothing else. And then God moves on and we're left with a form and we, and we end up passing on to the next generation. We, 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 aren't, we, we build monuments to the past. This is what God once did. Therefore, we're going to camp out there. And God's saying, no, I don't want you to camp out there. I want you to keep moving on because there's more. As we prayed at the beginning, I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you can know him better. What's this? Stay with me. I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you can know him better. So that you can know him better. I pray, Paul says, for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Wisdom and revelation. Everyone say revelation. Revelation, revelation, revelation. Revelation to come. Why? So that we can know him better. So it's really semantic. Some would say, well, there's nothing new under the sun. You can't know anything more. Well, either God is God and we're as human beings. God is allowing us, are the eyes of our heart to be enlightened so that we can see more of that which has always been there. Or God himself is choosing to reveal more of himself to us. And I don't really care which. I just want, I just want to say, there's always more. There's always more. Let's be Christians. Let's not be churchians. Let's not become stuck. But let's say, God, we just want more. Amen? All right, let's move on. Number three. Number three. Number three. God, a kingdom people need to be childlike, but not childish. Childlike, but not childish. Jesus says that we're to become like children. To become like children in our faith. You know, when my kids were growing up and I would say, boys, do you want to go to the park? They would go, yay! Kind of like we heard today with your kids. Yay, party! Woo! I mean, they're just, why? Because if their dad says, we're going to go to the park. We're going to the park. 
They have no reason to doubt my promise. All they know is dad says we're going to the park. Woo! They don't think I wonder if he's got enough money to get there for, for, his, for, the, for the gas. I wonder if the car will break down. I wonder if his phone will ring. Maybe he won't do it. La, 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 all these things. But they, they have a childlike faith. God said it, therefore it's going to happen. But the older we get, so often spiritual old age sets in and we think, well, history would say that a bunch of stuff could happen, therefore we will have to wait and see. I was fascinated by, by uh, George's testimony during the meet earlier today during worship where he said, God told, said to me, I'd like you to give away the Mercedes and after you've given the Mercedes, then I'd like to know what you would like. But in our minds, we're like, that sounds great. Let's do it like this. I'll hold the Mercedes, tell you what I like, then when you give me what I like, then I'll release the Mercedes. But God didn't say that. He said, son, I'd like you to give away your Mercedes. And once you've done that, then come back to me, ask me, and then I'd like to hear from you what you would like from me. Can you see that? But so often in our minds, we don't, want, we don't have that childlike faith because we've built up knowledge. And it's often right here between our two ears that stops us actually believing God just the way he said. You know, the reason I think we love David so much is because David had a shepherd's heart even when he became king. So as a king, he still had this shepherd's boy heart in him. He still danced like a shepherd. He still sang like a shepherd, still played the harp like a shepherd. And I believe there's a picture there of what, how God wants us to be, to have that childlike faith, not be childish, but have that childlike faith that says that when he, I'm just going to dance before the Lord because I don't care. And if you remember the story, I believe it was Michael that, that mocked David because of the way he was dancing before the Lord, and he said, I'll become even more undignified than this. And the person that actually, that, that actually mocked him God judged. Church, it's important that we stay childlike, that we don't become so clever and so proper that we actually miss the very heart of God because David was a man after God's own heart. And he had this childlike faith. He wasn't childish. He was a king. He could bring down a giant. But if you read it, I just, I love, even when, when he was, as a, <laughs> there's so many things in David, in the life of David. Um, but when he was called by his father, Jesse, to go and give cheese and crackers to his brothers who were on the front, front line facing Goliath. He went out and he asked the question, hey, what happens to the person who kills Goliath? And he was told, well, they get to marry the king's daughter. They never have to pay taxes again for the rest of their life. And something else, I can't remember. And so he stands before Saul, who's king at the time, and Saul looks at him and he says, so who are you? What, what do you do? And there's this little line, David says this, I used to keep sheep. It's like, Dave, you were, you were keeping sheep this morning. It says that very day, David set out to the front lines. And now he stood before Saul. What do you do? I used to keep sheep. Something happened in David's life where he went from being a, from being, being a child to growing up 
to letting something go. 1 Corinthians 13 says this, When I was a child, I thought like a child, I talked like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Can I suggest part of that transition happened in one day? And can I suggest to you this morning that for some of us, God wants to take us through a shift and a transition this morning that we leave something behind because God wants to step into something brand new. Because there are giants to kill. But again, what I love about David is he's still got this childlike, not childish, but this childlike faith which he had the heart of the king, that when he was then given armor to put on, he says to Saul, I'm not used to this. If you read the word, it says this, I'm not used to it. I'm not used to it. I'm not used to it. I can't lift up your sword. I can't wear this armor. I can't. I'm not used to it. David said, this is what I'm used to. I'm just used to five stones. And he went to the brook and he found five stones. Why? Because that's who he was. And that's where I think we love David because there's something about that shepherd's boy that goes right the way through his life. That even as a king, he still danced and sang and acted in many ways. Not in a childish way, but in a childlike way. Amen? So I encourage you that as we change culture, that we create a culture that is a culture that is childlike, that we don't become that we leave childish ways behind us, but we grow in maturity, but we don't become stuffy. Amen? All right. Number four. Oh, we're doing good today. Num number three? Number four. Number four. Number four, that we are a people that are calm. Otherwise, there's the potential of living in calamity. The same word, calm to calamity. Calm to calamity. Whew. You know, I think I said this last Sunday night at uh, LTP, that if we want the peace that passes understanding, then we have to give up sometimes the right to understand. If you want the, the peace that passes, that goes beyond understanding, then we have to give up the right to understand. This was, again, just, just to, to hone in. You know, one of the, the things I think is, is key to remaining, you know, in, in, okay, I'm going to go so many different ways. In James chapter 1, it says, consider it pure joy, trials of many kinds. One of the words for joy there is calm delight. In other words, in the midst of this trial, all is well with my soul. In other words, in the midst of this disappointment, I'm going to stay centered. In other words, in the midst of this storm, I'm going to remain calm. You know, the reason Jesus stayed calm in the storm is because he was living in a world where there was no storm. He was living in a reality where there wasn't a storm. And so what's on the in in internal realities always create external realities. I'll say that again. Internal realities always create external realities. If there's t calamity and turmoil on the inside, that's what will produce on the outside. If you yourself are not centered and living in calm delight, then that's what you'll create on the outside. You can watch this in a home. If somebody is agitated on the inside, even if they don't say anything, the, f the, the atmosphere in the home becomes agitated. 
You create, you know, silence has a voice. Well, I didn't say anything. It's like you didn't need to. Go look in the mirror, look at your face. I'm not talking about Fee. Fee never has a bad day. I'm talking about what she says to me. <laughs> Are you okay? Yes. <laughs> but if we don't stay calm, then we have every potential of causing a calamity. And the Bible, you read Psalm 91, can protect us from that. That we can live through the storm. We can rise above the storm. We can learn to hold on to the peace in the storm. Some of you know what I'm talking about, but you've been through hell and high waters and you've remained in the eye of the storm and you felt the peace of God. Sometimes you look at people and they go through a terrible disaster. You think, how do you do that? <laughs> They've learned the power of staying centered. They've learned the power, the power of staying calm to be at peace. You know, one thing a leader must do is be able to be, is hold, keep his bearings in the middle of a storm. Amen. And we're all called at different levels to bring peace. You know, Jesus, with, after John the Baptist was beheaded, Jesus says this, Blessed is he who's not offended at me. Blessed is he who's not offended at me. You know, some of us have gone through such trying things that still leave massive questions. And our response can be, create calamity, agitation, frustration, disappointment, and we end up in this cyclical living. I just need an answer. I just need an answer. Or we can say, blessed is me, because I'm not offended at him. I've told this story before, but my friend, and many of you know Chris Gore, who's in charge of the healing rooms in Redding, California, tells the story of a man who all he wanted in his life was to see sick people get well. He wanted to see miracles. And he wanted to get married and have children. And Chris tells the story of this man who started to lay hands on the sick and people got healed, blind eyes would open the mute would be healed and the deaf could hear. Skin conditions healed. All kinds of things happened. And then he tells a story about this man who had a child who was born with cerebral palsy. And the doctor said, this child will never be able to speak, never be able to communicate. It'll need, this child will need round-the-clock care. And Chris tells a story. Many of you have, have heard this before, so I'll tell it very quickly. But Chris tells the story of this man that went all over the world and sometimes would pray for children with cerebral palsy, sometimes the same age as this man that had a daughter with cerebral palsy, and he would hear bones crack and eyes straighten up, bones straighten up, and children that were born with this condition speak for the first time. And he'd race home. And this man would lay his hands on his daughter and nothing would happen. And Chris actually in this very room tells this story and 
when he tells it, there's hardly a dry eye in the room when he announces, and that little girl, that person is me, and that daughter is my daughter. And he said, my job at Bethel Church in Redding, California, is to oversee the healing rooms. I talked to Chris the other day, and he, I said, how's Charlotte doing? He said, she's so gorgeous. She's so wonderful. But Dan, there's no change. She's now 18, 19 years old. She needs round-the-clock clock care. She takes two people to lift her. She can't feed herself, care for herself, walk, talk in any way. She can just make a noise. And he says, but I continue to travel around the world and see other children with the same condition as my daughter Charlotte. And when I lay hands on them, they get healed. And he says, I don't know why, but I do know this. I'm not going to be intellectually offended at God. I'm not going to charge God with wrongdoing because God is good and today is a great day for a miracle. And that's his message. What a wonderful way to live. With that attitude. Is it challenging every single day? Some of you are facing challenges every single day. They're not going away. Hurts. Pains, disappointments, loss. But I want you to just encourage you, if I can this morning, find your center, stay there, find your calm, and say, I don't know all the answers, but I do know God is good, and I do know all his promises are yes and amen, and I do know I'm not going to charge God with wrongdoing. I'm not going to be intellectually offended at God because today is a great day for a miracle, but my hope and my faith is not going to be on whether God answers my prayer or whether he doesn't, whether I'm feeling all right or I'm not. My faith is going to be hinged on you are God, and you're worthy to be worshipped, and you're worthy to be thanked, and you're worthy to be praised until the day my heart stops beating, and then we live for eternity. If I got a rope right now and, and there was a big coil over there and I got a piece of red tape and I just, that's, that life is a picture of our life in the context of eternity. We have a lot of rope left <laughs> forever and ever and ever. It's eternity. But how we do live this, live this life really will, as Maximus says, echo in eternity. How we live today will echo in eternity. Our attitude does matter because it will determine whether we go in circles or we say, I don't know, but I do know this. I've got a plan and a destiny, and I'm not going to get stuck here. You know, in Africa, there's signs in, in the dry parts of Africa. If you've been there, I have, and it says, beware of ruts in the road. If you get caught in a rut after it's been wet and then the dry season and your car gets caught in a rut, you can stay in that rut for miles and miles and miles and miss your turning. You can go way out of your way because you're stuck in a rut. You're stuck in a rut. I can't get out. There's no way. I'm jammed in. I'm driving sideways. Beware of ruts. Be careful of patterns that cause you to live cyclically, that cause calamity to come when you could say in the eye of the storm, and remain calm. Number five, I'm going to close with this, and then we're going to pray. Number five, that God wants us, his people, the church, the fullness of him that fills everything in every way to be a cup and not a cap. Say that with me. Cup, not a cap. 
You know, I believe ministry should be a womb and an environment for overflow, not to cap and to control. And in this house, we're an empowering church to empower people to find their God-given shape, to find the very reason that we're here on planet Earth. To help you for, you, to, for your, to realize your dreams, to see your dreams come true. You know, the Bible says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And God's sneaky. When we align ourselves with him, with his will, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we align ourselves with his will, God's sneaky and he changes our desires to be his desires. <laughs> you ever notice that? It's like, I never had that desire before. God, did you change my desires? He's clever. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. For God is God. And suddenly you find yourself when you're delighting. Watch this. His, wherever, wherever there's a promise, there's an if. If you de delight yourself in him, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in him. Well, I just, I just want to have my own dreams. No, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Can you see there's a part we have to play? Sometimes in a dream culture, we're like, well, I got this dream. God, can you make it happen for me? But, but, but I think we forget. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. His, and then you start living right. Then righteousness isn't religion. It's being right with God. It's being right with his purpose. It's aligning your life with heaven, with the will of God. Let your will be done. When we do his will, we find our will. When we delight ourselves in doing His will, suddenly He gives us the desires of our heart. Amen? <laughs> Amen. All right. So, they, so a cup releases, but a cap restricts. And I believe God wants, us, wants a culture here on earth where we allow release of people to find their dreams. You know, in Matthew chapter 16 is the very first mention of the word church in the Bible. The word church is the Greek word ekklesia, which means called out ones. We're called out of darkness into the marvelous kingdom of light. It's not a kingdom of darkness because there's no king in the kingdom of darkness. But it is a dominion of darkness, but there's a kingdom of light. Why? Because the king has a king the kingdom has a king and his name is Jesus. Amen? So we come into the marvelous kingdom of light. And Jesus says to Matthew, in Matthew chapter 16, he asked the question, who do the people say I am? And they said, some say Elijah, some say one of the prophets. And Jesus looked at Peter and he says, Peter, how about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus looked at him and he says, blessed are you, Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, for this has not been revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And on this rock, on the revelation of who you just said I am, I will build my church. There's the first word, church. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And watch this. Then Jesus says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. You know, as a father with teenage boys that are learning to drive, I become aware that those keys are attached to a great deal of responsibility. Today, one of my boys said, Dad, can I drive to church today? And I'm like, sure. And I gave him the key. And he put the key in the ignition. You know, keys have access to a lot of power. And with that power comes a lot of responsibility. And there needs to be a maturity that is attached to keys. Amen? 
There needs to be a, you know, if you, if you have a job that, at work, you're, you may have certain keys that open certain doors, but for whatever reason, you may not be allowed to open all the doors. A few years ago, or two years ago, when we, when we, when we went back to Bath for three or four months, um, I remember, I'll never forget um, one of the, the senior leaders there saying, um, oh, so Dan, we're going to give you some keys. And I was like, okay, cool. And uh, they kind of looked at me. <laughs> they were like, so we're going to give you the keys. I'm like, great, cool. They said, well, you're, you're the pastor now, so we're going to give you the keys. I'm like, I, I heard you. Give them over then. But he was like, well, I've got to go through some stuff first. And like for an hour, we were, this is a massive building going through and the alarm systems. And I'm like, can I have the keys now? So eventually, it's like he reluctantly gave me all of these keys. He says, that's access to the whole building. I'm like, okay, cool. And then I lost them. <laughs> but they don't know that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they still don't know. Anyway, so. No, no, no. This will not. It is live streamed. Oh, wait, no one told me that. Where's the camera? Okay. Just kidding. <laughs> but, you know, with responsibility, as we grow within the, in the kingdom of light, as we grow in the kingdom of God, as we mature, I believe God wants us to have access to more and more responsibility. And it was keys that he gave to Peter. Keys to the kingdom. My boys for the next year, praise Jesus, will not be allowed to use that key unless either Fee or I are sitting right next to them. Amen. But when they turn 16, then they will, with certain conditions, be allowed to use those keys that will give them access to a lot of power and a lot of authority. Amen. Church God it wants to open doors for us. That was a prophetic word that came a few, a, cu a couple of weeks ago, prophetically in the meeting. I'm going to open doors. Stuff's going to happen. But you know, sometimes doors, there needs to be a level of responsibility that we grow in and that we understand the power and the authority that God has given us. But we still need to go through an area and a process of maturing like when I was a child, I thought like a child. I talked and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. That there are certain things that when we put them behind us, God says, now I'm going to give you the keys. You know, I was trying to open a door this week, and it was one of those, those keys locks that you have to jiggle. You know that? You've got a key, and you just have to jiggle it. And once you've jiggled the lock, the key in the lock, then it opens. But then the door still is, or, the, or rather it unlocks, but the door still doesn't open. And then you have to lift the door. You ever had a door like that? You have to lift it to try and get it open. And then you have to, some other doors, you have to bring them really close to you because it's too tight. And, but when you pull that door close to you, then you're able to release it and it opens. And you know, sometimes God needs to jiggle us around so that we can actually unlock things. He needs to move things in our life so we can unlock things. Sometimes He'll lift us up so that the door can open. Then He will pull us close to Himself and then push us. And the door will open. Church, there's doors that need to be unlocked in your life. There's things that need to be jiggled, things that need to be lifted. God wants to pull you close so that He can push you out and the door will open. 
It's important that we are a cup, that we're not a cap. And can I encourage you, to, as you, this church is, you know, I believe in God. There's, it's like jet engines are, are firing up right now. I can hear them in the spirit. This flight has been determined. The flight path has been determined. People are strapped in their seats. People are ready. You can see the destination again. There's a, there's a new, there's a sense of excitement of where we're going. These, these are exciting times. And watch, church. The church is about to go through a growth season. And I believe there, there's a harvest of people coming in saved and unsaved some to be equipped and some just to come and know Jesus for the first time but can I encourage you if you're in this church you're in this house please can you get ready for people coming in people that already know the Lord and they're just trying to find a house they're trying to find a home they're trying to find a family some people they're just trying to find Jesus they're lost they don't know they don't know where they're going they don't know why they exist and we have the answer and we're in here but what starts in an upper room must always go out into the streets and there must be someone like Peter who had those keys who can say, no, 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 let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to me. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what's prophesied by Joel. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And we must have an answer that is relevant enough for people to say when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and say, say, what must we do to be saved? Sometimes our religious language is so confusing because we've forgotten the basics of just loving Jesus and just meeting with him. That somebody, talk, somebody who's sitting with us said, saved from what? That's somebody recently. Someone was talking about being saved. Saved? Who, who's drowning? What's going on? We, we, we sometimes, our lingo, our language is just so fuddy-duddy and religious. We know what it means, but it's got to translate to other people. To a world that need to know. And that's why it's so important that if you're growing in God, find somebody that, will, that can help you, that disciple you. You know, I believe the body should take in the natural, takes care of itself. Don't just wait for somebody, but find somebody who's been through that. Can I just say this as well? You know, I have no problem with life coaching, but find somebody who's a, li a life coach that's actually been there. That's actually done that. They didn't just get a certificate on the computer. Oh, I'm going to be a life coach. What? You know, I think some life coaches are more like travel agents. You know, they sit behind a computer and tell you where you should go, but they've never been there. Hello. Too, too rough? Okay. But, but, it, but if you find a tour guide, somebody who's actually been there, and somebody who will actually come with you. Can I take you to the destination? Can I, oh, can I turn on a lamp for you? And, and let me explain this to you because I'm with you. Jesus says to the disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Let me disciple you. Come with me. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. But find people who have been there. You're going to find people who've gone through the joys and the, and the excitement of success. Find those people. And say, hey, how did you do it? You're going to find people who've gone through the depths of despair, through loss and pain. People who've gone through regret and disappointment. Find them and say, hey, how did you stay centered in the eye of the storm? How did you stay calm in the midst of calamity? How did you do it? Can you walk me through it? Yeah, I'll just go online. Hang on. What? No, I don't need a travel agent. I need a tour guide. 
Don't sit behind a computer. I can Google it myself. I want to know. I want to feel what you feel. I want to I w- and sit with them and cry with them. That's why the Bible says, weep with those who weep. Laugh with those who laugh. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Come on, church. Let's get back to a, a real reality of this. is We are human beings. And say, I really have feelings. And stop our religiosity and just be real. And say, you know, I'm having a really rubbish day. Or a rubbish month. Or a rubbish year. Or a rubbish decade. And I don't want to go around this mountain anymore. I don't want to be cyclical living No, I want to move on, but I don't know how. Can someone please help me? And we say, yes, we'll help you. You know why? Because we're the church, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Amen? Let's stand together, can we? Just put your hands on your heart, close your eyes, and I'm going to read this word again and let it permeate into your hearts because this is a powerful prayer for Paul. He says, I pray... I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his headship over the, for the church, the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Father God, I thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus. I thank you that all authority you gave to him. And I thank you, Jesus, that authority you've given to us. And Lord, as we leave this place today, I, God, I ask that we would do so with our heads lifted up, our heads lifted high, knowing that we are the head and not the tail, knowing that we have a confidence in you, not a self confidence but a God confidence that we would go here out of here strong that we would go out of here confident knowing that you are our God that you are in us and you've called us and you've appointed us and you've anointed us for this time in history to make your name famous Lord, I ask for anyone today, Lord, that needs, needs to break cycles to go from, from being childish to childlike, that God, that you would show us, Holy Ghost, even right now, the things that we need to leave behind, the parking lot that we need to leave behind so we can get on the journey to our destiny to make you famous in this earth, in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Love you, church. Go and say hi to someone. Give them a hug.